Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host Brian and before we get into this week's episode the answer to last week's music trivia question was Led Zeppelin got the name Black Dog when a black Labrador walked into the recording studio when they were making a record. Now for this week's music trivia question which band holds the record for the longest running fan club? And we've got another 5 star review. 5 stars, must listen. I just started listening to this podcast over quarantine and got hooked instantly. The podcast does a great job talking about music that you love. Drop what you're doing and listen now. This was left by Jay Benz on iTunes. And don't forget, if you leave a 5 star review, your review will be read out on the show. And now on to this week's episode. My guest is Ven from the band Ven Ray. Ven's career is a great story that really proves you're never too old. If you want it bad enough and you work hard enough, your dreams will come true. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show.
Ben, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. I am so happy to be here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you. How are you doing this afternoon? Doing good. Just a lazy, sunny day in Los Angeles, California. Okay, now you're making me jealous. It's a, a rainy <laughs> night here in Ireland, so <laughs> we can swap if you want. <laughs> yes, the United Kingdom. It uh, seems to be uh, almost like that no matter what time of year you're there. True, true, and true. Ireland. Yeah, I often say we get all four seasons in one day over here. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been there many times, so I understand. Yeah, yeah. So very exciting times for you guys right now. Ven Ray just released their album Purgatory Awaits. Yep, that's correct. And uh, the radio promotion for the first single, uh, Show Me, uh, finished the second week of the promotion uh, Tuesday of this week. It will be going to radio in the United Kingdom, Ireland, as well as uh, Europe. Although I think uh, that's delayed about another week from now. Uh, well, I really can't wait to hear it on the radio over here. I have to say, I kind of have the opinion there's no such thing as the perfect record. But Jesus, this one comes close. I mean, there's not one song that you'd skip on it, you know? Gee, that's a heck of a compliment. You know, I'm a pretty humble guy. And, you know, it's really nice to hear things like that from people. Um, yeah, the, the, the record company wanted to start with a six-song EP. We had released two songs, Show Me and ATM Machine, uh, independently prior to getting the record deal, and they wanted those on, on the album. Uh, and we had a lot of material. I mean, we have six or seven albums worth of demos. We just kept writing and recording and writing and recording. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, I sent about 15 of what I thought were you know, some of the better songs that might flow with those two. Mm. And uh, I think the record company did a great job of selecting, uh, you know, the four to record to go along with the other two. Uh, and they did a great job of selecting the first radio single. It's not on radio there yet. It will be in a week or two. Although after two weeks here, it's just blowing up the billboard and uh, the foundation rock charts, which is uh it's just really nice the first week we were the most added uh, new sync rock single on both billboard and foundation oh, man. and the second week uh we were in the top 10 of uh, the greatest gainers of spins on both billboard and foundation and then that's just after two weeks so i'm I, I just can't believe what's going on. But I have to give the label a lot of credit for selecting the right songs. And I'll take the credit for the album order. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made the final decision, decision on, you know, how the tracks would flow one through six. Mm. How does it feel to have a, a label coming in and telling you that they're going to pick the songs that's going to be on the record? You know, I've had to do <clears throat> make so many decisions on my own and with the band over the years. And, uh, you know, when you finally get a great record company behind you who's successful, you know, I think Ted Nugent just signed with them, Dishwalla, Puddle of Mud, Candlebox, among many others are with them. 
they have a new all girl band that's just blowing up. Yeah, plush, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, plush. So you know, at some point, you just gotta do. You know, you just gotta follow some direction and have faith that uh, the people you're working with really know what they're doing. And uh, so that's what we did. It was hard to swallow at first, although I surrendered. And uh, <laughs> so far, you know, they've proven they know what they're doing. There's no question about it. Yeah, yeah. Now, this this record didn't have a an easy road, so to speak, to release with uh, going through COVID, stuff like that. You had to pull in Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction to, to drum on it. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll, <clears throat> there's a little bit of background to that. I'll, I'll go through it quickly. You know, <laughs> going into April of 2021, having not been on stage since March 4th, 2020, I, I just decided to quit. I, I just didn't want to go into 2022, turning another year older on January 21st, just trying to bust my head after all these years to get to where we should be a year ago. Hmm. Um, and Jason had come over to put my vocal on a demo. And I dreaded all day telling him I just quit. And I, re- I really, I was done. I told my girl I'm finished. And... Uh, we were up here. I have a recording studio to my right. And uh, later in the evening when he was bouncing the track to listen, I came over here because there's a desk over there where the computer uh, and where he, you know, the recording studio is. Mm. And then my office is here. Now I just logged on to my email and there was a record deal offer from Pape. So <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> okay. So we signed that deal, but my drummer's French and, uh, you know, his work visa would only allow him to make money doing music. So he had to leave shortly before the shutdown. He left in like September. Well, he left. uh, Yeah, he did leave after the shutdown. He left uh, in August of 2020 Mm. and just went back to France. I mean, there was nothing to do. The whole world was shut down. Yeah. So when we signed in April and we're and we're scheduled to go into the studio to record the other four songs, the European Union would not allow any of their citizens to leave the country and all the studios were closed. So we couldn't even do the tracks over there. Uh, so, yeah, I called uh, my friend Stephen Perk Perkins. He goes by Perk, uh, the drummer for the fabulous James Addiction rock band. I think he's I think he's one of the top three drummers in the game. Oh yeah, definitely. And I said, man, I just said, brother, my, my drummer's trapped in France. I got a record deal. I got four tracks to record, and I I got to hire somebody to do it. And if I can't have my guy, I want the best. And he's like, let's sash, buddy. Let's do it. So, <laughs> um, so show me uh, the first track, ATM Machine, the last track, track six. Arwood Victor Singer, our drummer, and tracks uh, uh, two through uh, five uh, are Stephen uh, Perkins from Jane's Addiction. Mm, yeah. And, and that, yeah, that's how that happened. Yeah, yeah. And with things starting to finally open back up, is your drummer back in the States now? Well, no, he's in France. He can come anytime he wants to. Um, <laughs> my bass player 
you know, has a 10-year green card. He just applied for citizenship, but he's originally from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's got some family things going on there. So he's got to go back to Brazil <clears throat> on March 20th. So we're not going to really be available to rehearse till about uh, the 25th of April. So we'll have Victor come out here on the 24th. And they're going to start booking the tour probably the second or third week of March. So I'm thinking sometime between mid-May and mid-June, you know, we'll be on a pretty sizable USA tour. Mm, Yeah, yeah, that's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good summer. I can't wait. You know, it's like (laughs) I literally, you know, we toured the last quarter of 2019 on the East Coast and Midwest of the United States, we had spent a lot of time from 2014 on touring only in Europe, Europe you know, across the pond, Europe, mm-hmm. uh, Ireland, the United Kingdom. Uh, and we hadn't really toured here since the summer of 2013, the slash. So <clears throat> we had, we did not have the following here that we had over there. So a lot of people didn't know who we were. You know, I brought merchandise for 23 shows. After five shows, we were sold out. They were like, God, who are you guys? And uh, we were direct support to uh, L.A. Guns with, uh, you know, Tracy having reunited with Phil uh, Lewis. Uh, And we were on fire, just absolute fire, Uh, you know, going into, uh, you know, and the tour culminated with uh, a New Year's Eve show at the Whiskey A Go Go, just unbelievable. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we just started writing and recording. And you know, we felt like uh, you know Universal was talking to us about signing us. You know, we felt on top of the world. Mm. We played a show at the Whiskey with Sponge, a '90s band, uh, on March fourth, and thirteen days later. Virtually, you know, the entire country shut down on oh, March seventeenth. That that must have I been mean, pretty hard to take. Now, it's been very hard. I think a lot of people suffered all over the world. Mm. Uh, I went to a really dark place for a while. You know, I, I hardly drink at all. I think I was drinking half a bottle of Irish and Scotch whiskey a day. Oh man, uh, that was my outlet. You know, mm. rehearsing and jamming with the band touring doing live shows you know i can jason continue to come over here and we continue to write and record songs it just wasn't really enough and it was very difficult for me as things started to open up again to get back to being myself you know when you can actually go out and do things you yeah. know, things obviously are much better now you know, in trying just trying to find other things to do to occupy my time in a positive way, I think it was one of the most difficult things I've I've ever been through in my life. I got through it, mm. but it, it just wasn't easy, and um, you know, it, it was a very dark and and uh, unpleasant part of my life. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been one of the toughest few years ever but thankfully now it looks like we're at the end of it you know everything is starting to look better things are starting to open back up and we can get back to some sort of normal life thank god yeah absolutely i think touring europe 
is probably gonna, not going to be happening till 2023. Mm. Um, the I think the United Kingdom. I don't know about Ireland. Um, you know, is supposedly supposed to lift all restrictions. I don't know if they put them back on. Although for like a big band or on a big tour, there's only so many shows you can do over there. You can do Belfast and Dublin, and you can probably do five or six in England. Mm. And with the cost of touring, if you can't go to mainland Europe, you're probably just going to cost you a bunch of money to do the tour. You know, Aerosmith canceled their entire summer Euro tour. Yeah. I'm happy touring here. We're pretty well known already over there across the pond. We need to build a following here. So I'm fine, you know, just touring the United States uh, this year. I really look forward to playing for my fellow American rock fans. They're great fans. And as uh, the fans are in the United Kingdom, Ireland, and, and yeah. in mainland Europe. Yeah, does it feel with having such a, a big following and being well known over in Europe compared to America, does it feel like you're finally getting the rec- recognition over there that you should have got years ago? It does. I think we made some mistakes. You know, I think we concentrated on Europe a little longer than we should have. I, I We had so much momentum going on here. We did our first USA tour in January, February, 2012 with fuel Mm. You know, Brett, Brett Scallion's uh, singing. I'd first seen them open for Aerosmith oh, years years before. Uh, so it was really kind of a little intimidating and honored to tour with them. We even did uh, the Super Bowl Village show. Oh, Got man. paid by the, by the NFL, yeah, in Indianapolis. <laughs> we played for 73,000 people. Our opening act was the Indianapolis Colts cheerleaders. And then Alice Cooper called and we toured all summer with him. That was, you know, intimidating, <laughs> followed by more intimidating. I could imagine. Uh, yeah. And then uh, we were supposed to go on tour in July with Stephen Adler, although unfortunately he suffered some personal issues and had to cancel the tour. And our management company got us on the tour with Slash and Hillbilly Herald. Uh, the tour was already going, but it saved our release of our uh, uh, the record we had at the time. And uh, so it was a real honor to tour with Slash and Miles Kennedy. They're on tour right now, actually. Uh, I believe my bandmates plush are third up. Thank yeah, I've, I've heard that. All right. I've heard, heard it over here that they're torn together. That that would be an epic, epic concert scene. It is. It's Plush and then Dead Sarah, who's another great band, uh, and then uh, and then Slash with Miles Kennedy. Great guys. You know, I just love Slash. Mm. Incredible guy. Miles Kennedy is one of the classiest men I've ever met in my life. And Alice Cooper, for sure. I mean, yeah. what amazing people they are. And uh, then we... Uh, Ended up uh, at the end of 2013 in December into January 2014. We got offered a massive Euro UK Ireland tour with uh, co-headlining was Buck Cherry and Hardcore Superstar. Mm. And uh, that was really the most incredible tour, I think, of my entire career. Really? Yeah, I I really do. Because... We stepped on the stage in Milan, Italy on a Sunday. It was 
at Alcatraz, which is the place to play. Mm. And, uh, you know, we thought we were pretty well known uh, <laughs> already. And, you know, it was sold out 3,500 people Sunday night. They were in line for hours and very cold, snowy temperatures. <clears throat> I took the stage. They went crazy. And, you know, <clears throat> going into about the third song of the set, they were actually singing back with me, which was the first time uh, I ever experienced that. Yeah. And that was definitely a, a career highlight. You know, when finally people love your music and know it so well, that when you're live, they're singing back to you the songs you wrote. You know, when that happens for the first time, you know, it's like uh, you're a child uh, opening its <laughs> eyes and smiling at you for the first time. You know, the baby is, is growing <laughs> up. That, <clears throat> I will never forget that as long as I live ever. Yeah, yeah, geez, I, I wouldn't blame you. That has to be, you know, that's probably as good as it gets when it comes to making music, you know? It does, um, you know, it, it, it really does. I mean, having somebody just come up when I'm at the merch table signing stuff after our sets, you know, repeat a line from a song and just say, yeah, I get that. That's really good, man. And, you know, uh, that happened a few times. and I, I really enjoyed that. But when I got on stage and they were singing the songs back to me, you know, that was extremely special. I've really never cared about being rich or famous or any of that. I just, I believe in the songs I write. Yeah. I love performing live. It appears people enjoy us. Um, and, uh, but now we got a record company behind us. We're a first-class record company. We got the top commercial radio promoter, Eric Baker, working the promotion. We are, we're now signed to Concrete Marketing. Bob Chaparty, which is maybe the second biggest management company to the firm, you know, Neil Warnock, who's, those guys are, are humongous. And, uh, and things... <clears throat> and it just looks like uh, so far in the USA, they're really digging the single. And uh, hopefully they will over there, too. Um, it's just very exciting. It's been divine intervention. I go from quitting, and the day I'm going to tell Jason, my guitar player, writes the music, I write the lyrics, that I quit, there's a deal from Pavement. Then my drummer can't come. And who ends up filling in on drums? You know, Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. You know, now we're blowing up the charts after just two weeks, Billboard and Foundation. So it appears, you know, I believe in God and angels and obviously the, you know, they must love me or something because I was done before I got that email. <laughs> obviously they were like, you know, the powers that be were, no, you're not. You're not, just you're going just to beginning. Say you're just beginning. You know, they say that we, you know, <clears throat> that we plan or dream and God laughs, you know, whatever. I think God, if there is a God, a great creator, which I believe is getting a big laugh at all of this. So the, I'm happy that, you know, the powers that be are working in the right, right way for us. Yeah. Yeah. The universe definitely has a plan for you anyway. So at this stage in your career stage in your life, how do you approach being a musician? Well, I, I approach it the same way I did from the beginning, although I'm much more experienced 
I think right now I'm a much better singer. Um, I think I've always written really relevant songs. You know, my <clears throat> the people that influenced me were Jim Morrison, uh, and then even more so as lyricists. Um, you know, Lou Reed, David Bowie, and then primarily John Lennon and, and Bob Dylan. Mm. And uh, when you look back at uh, the tumultuous period of the Vietnam War here, and, uh, you know, the hippie movement and the free love and make love not war and all that, I was kind of young at the time, but old enough to experience it enough. And, you know, they were just writing incredible songs i don't know why bob's not doing it now although mm. he are you know he paid his price so yeah i don't you know i could have written dumbed down lyrics and probably got a deal a bit more of a poppy kind of band a long time ago but i didn't want to do that yeah so i think you know the biggest thing for me is to write responsible lyrics that people can relate to to heal and to learn and enjoy you know just depending on the song Mm. yeah and i i, I believe I, I i've accomplished that and continue to yeah yeah i'm actually glad you mentioned jim morrison i was looking at the for people that can't see it there's an epic picture of jim morrison just behind you he's uh right. he'd be one of my idols i absolutely love you know his songs the doors even his poems yeah. it's um i always kind of wonder to myself it's a pity we didn't get to see what he would have done in later life well he used he hadn't even hit his peak yet when he nope. died you know they just yeah you know, they had just put out you know some new a new record that was just exploding um the thing with me and jim morrison is <clears throat> a few different things you know number one he wasn't the greatest singer but it all worked with the band he was a poet I think it's the same. It's the same for me. I'm not the greatest singer, but everything together, like a fine clock with all the parts working, meaning the band, you know, together, it all works really well. You know, that I'm definitely a poet and I write lots of poems and then I turn some of them into songs. Um, and so that's what I really related to uh, with Jim Morrison. Could you imagine, you know, Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix would have accomplished if they didn't leave us so soon. It's just mind boggling what those guys were doing yeah. back at the time. They were only 27 years old. Yeah, that's the thing. And nowadays, like 27 year olds, they're not even, you know, fully aware of themselves. You know, you're I feel like when you're 27 nowadays, you're not even fully grown up you know and these guys the amount they accomplished before they died it's a it's a scary comparison to make it just kind of depends how old you are when things happen mm. you know the late 60s and the 70s was a different world you know and yeah. the, the early you know then the early 90s you know record company executives and ar people were out getting drunk eating dinner and limos pulling up to the clubs going in while looking at the bands if they liked somebody they'd have a you know recording contract in their fax machine the next day you know that ended in 1991 mm. but you look at like uh jimmy hendrix and jim morrison we lost them early due to the the excesses of the period 
you know, just a lot of drugs and alcohol in that period. And then you look at bands like, you know, well, like Robert Plant. And then you look at the Stones, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, who, who partook but got through it alive and continue to perform. Uh, you know, Kurt Cobain was a different uh, different story. Um, and I watched an interview with Steve Perry from Journey recently. Hmm. And I, I was wondering, how the heck could you just not want to tour anymore? And then I understood Kurt's pressure, you know. He couldn't handle the fame of it. He just, it got so big that he didn't really like it anymore, you know? And yeah. with, with Perry, especially with his vocal to have to be spot on every night, people don't understand how grueling touring is, whether you're, you know, you're starting out in a van and a, in a trailer, you know, are you going five-star, you know, you play a show, you're going to be on stage for two hours and, you know, you got to be spot on. And then, you know, you could be tired and then, you know, you get in your bus and you wake up the next day, 500 miles, 600 miles away, and you got to do it again. And especially in today's world where everybody's got a phone with a camera and a video, you make one little mistake and that's what gets uploaded to YouTube. Whether Whoever filmed it knows you made a mistake or not. Most of the time, no one knows except for the bad. But that's yeah. the piece that goes on to YouTube. So... You know, Perry just, uh, I made a bunch of money. I had a lot of fun. Uh, and I don't want to be under that type of pressure. So, you know, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Mick Jagger certainly doesn't need the money. And, and I think I relate to him very closely. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. There's just an addiction and a feeling and experience being on stage with all that powerful music going out and a big crowd out there and it coming back at you. It's truly addicting for some of us, clearly for Mick. He, you know, at 78, he certainly doesn't need the money to be out there. He does it because he's addicted to it. Um, and I feel the same way. And that's why it was very tough the last couple of years not being able to play because of pandemic issues yeah. Mm, yeah yeah it must have almost felt like your life force almost was being sucked out of you by not being able to get on stage and play in front of people it, not almost absolutely happened yeah yeah i mean i got lost and then like tommy lee I'm like like dude <laughs> i i'm drinking you know he was drinking like two big gallon jugs of vodka a day. Oh man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm drinking half a bottle of whiskey. I don't know what happened to me. He's like, I'm drinking two jugs of vodka a day. And my wife just told me I need to stop, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I thought to myself, uh, okay. Hail Motley crew. You're, you're bad. You're a badass. You know? All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're drinking vodka. I'm drinking whiskey. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think they'd be the uh, the best band to try and top when it comes to lifestyle and partying. Anyway, I don't think it end too well for anyone. You know, I mean, I'm not a great fan of the '80s rock movement. You know, when you come up with with the, the amazing acts 
that broke in the late 60s and Led Zeppelin's one of them stones or a little earlier but you know the who Led Zeppelin Jefferson Airplane Jimi Hendrix you know I hand it to Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue you know and they 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 need to be given their due I don't see them in the same kind of category as some of the bands I just mentioned oh no uh, no I think the seven, the late sixties and the seventies produced, you know, some of the best rock and roll bands that will ever grace this earth. Mm. Uh, and then there was, you know, I give Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses their credit. I, I was never really into that type of music. Yeah. And um, in the nineties, it seemed to make a resurgence, you know, and Greta Van Fleet. And uh, the Black Angels, I think, are bringing it back. And hopefully those young kids in Greta Van Fleet, you know, in modern times, you know, understand the ramifications of what bands did and experienced in the, in the 70s, which they, they try to emulate with their clothes and, yeah. and all of that. They're, they're, they're a great young band, but hopefully, you know, they're smart about it and they don't kill themselves along the way. they got a great long career ahead of them yeah if they yeah. stay healthy yeah i feel like the the 60s and 70s were definitely the golden age of music you know and that lifestyle and everything that came after it the 80s and couldn't live up to it but nowadays it's great to see younger bands actually taking so much influence from what i consider the best age for music and some of the best musicians there's ever been you know and as you said they're, they are kind of bringing it back or them well, speak. It, mm-hmm. Go on. Well, I was just saying, if you go to 1976 and look at all the records that were released that year, when you have time, you and all your listeners, mm. go check the rock albums that released in 1976. Rumors, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, like, there's like 15 of the biggest selling records ever, all released in 1976. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, it would have been tough to be in a, a band releasing an album that year. <laughs> the competition was definitely tough. <laughs> <laughs> they all sold millions of records. It's crazy. It, it was a different world back then. Mm, yeah. I don't yeah. know if I prefer today's world to that world. They're very different. Mm. But it was a different world. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, I like to get a sense of my guests early influences so i have a couple of questions now to to see where your music genres came from can you remember your very first musical experience or memory yeah i can um i was nine years old and i want to hold your hand came on the radio uh and followed pretty quickly by painted black by the rolling stones and when I heard those, when I heard the Beatles and the Stones, I wanted to be a front man, you know. And at 17, you know, we put something together that was starting to, you know, in rehearsal, it was going really well. But, you know, you're talking the very early 70s. My dad was a heart doctor. You know, we grew up in an affluent suburb. and. Uh, 
you know, it wasn't Liverpool or London or Hamburg or anywhere where there were wealths of musicians, nor in Hollywood, you know, so they all just kind of flaked out. Mm. And it just wasn't really possible to put another band together. And I just figured, you know what, the ship has sailed. And I just went on to do uh, other things in my life. Flash forward years later, you know, um, it, it, you know my dream came true. I mean, I, I was 18 when I saw Alice Cooper on tour when he had the hit 18 on the radio. <laughs> and if you would have told me then that uh, three decades later I'd be touring with him, I would have told you you were crazy. But it happened. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I take it it wasn't one of them never meet your heroes type uh, type things. Um, I was nervous as heck because every band had opened for him for three years before was crucified by the press. So I thought maybe my career would be over. But I'm like, okay, if they crucify me and my career's over, at least I can say I toured with Alice Cooper. <laughs> Luckily, we got uh, we got good reviews musically. Jason and I wanted to create a new genre. He was influenced by primarily the Jesus and Mary Chain and all the bands they opened the door for or spun off from them. Mm. And I think we did come up with kind of a new genre. I call it epic alternative rock and roll. You know, it's melodious and harmonious. Mm. We get compared to, to Alice in Chains a lot because of the two-part harmonies, but we don't sound like them. We sound like something you think you heard before. <laughs> and quickly realize that you haven't. And I think there's just touches of 70s, 90s meets today current music mm. in what Jason writes. But he did a brilliant job with the songs that are on the EP, Purgatory or Waits. No question about it, especially the power ballad, Jim Fizz. Mm. If you listen to that. That, I think, is one of the top five best songs we've ever written together. And we've written over a couple hundred. So, uh, Jim Fizz, you know, we've never really had a great power ballad. Mm. Uh, but that's my favorite song uh, uh, on the EP. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely up there. I'd be more partial to something a bit heavier myself. But, geez, Jim Fizz, it's definitely one of the top three on the album anyway. Yeah, I'm glad that you like it. You know, we'll get there. When you're limited to six songs, you know, you have to be careful. Um, yeah. You know, if you're doing a 10 or 12 song uh, LP, full album, you, you can have a couple ballads. But, you know, it's tricky with a six song EP. You just really got to pick the right songs and you need to have the right album order. You need to make the musical journey as close to uh, you know the best way you can uh, with it. We're a pretty heavy band, though. <laughs> you want to hear something heavy? You know, go to YouTube and pull up our second record, "American Illusion." That 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 record's heavy. <laughs> I've uh, really I've, is. <laughs> I've been listening to some of your older stuff in the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks. All right, and Jesus, uh, you know. You guys don't actually have any bad music or bad songs. You know, everything for a listener, from a listener's point of view, everything is something you throw on and you genuinely enjoy listening to, you know? Well, thank you very much. Uh, that's a great compliment. I, I really am honored to hear those words. Um, I just believe 
everything happens when it's supposed to. Mm. Um, you know, if you believe everything is possible, and we just did not get a record company behind us and get commercial radio, you know, people blow up by getting viral videos, this or that or the other. The bottom line is commercial rock radio still drives everything. Mm. And uh, we never were able to get those songs out to the masses until now. And, um, you know, Show Me is not the best song on the record, but that's the first single. And in the first two weeks, it's just blowing up the billboard charts. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know we're, we're, we're getting added more than the Red Hot Chili Peppers new single. And, uh, you know, those charts, you're competing with the AAA Lister big boys and girls, you know, Hailstorm, Red Hot Chili, everybody. Um, so I thought if we could get to the masses on radio, we had a shot. Looks like I was right. It just took, you know, just didn't happen till now. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about the music industry, especially nowadays. You know, you could be the best band that's ever came along, but if you don't have a good team behind you, you won't go anywhere, you know? A good team that isn't there to just take your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You know, because uh, the music industry is like being forced down a gauntlet with a bunch of people holding two by fours with metal spikes coming out of them and beating the hell out of you as you go through it. Um, it, it's a tough road. What I like about pavement is they've really balanced out, you know, our record label, they're distributed by Sony Mm. orchard and they, they, they have a nice balance of established bands that are still doing well. Um, and bringing on this young, very young, early 20s girl band, Plush, that singer's just, she's amazing. Although, you know, we've been around a while, but for most of the world, we're like a new rock band, mm-hmm. even though we're seasoned and we're much more seasoned than Plush. You know, <laughs> they're, they average about 22 years old and uh, our average age is older, but, you know, we've been touring the world for. Well, you know, we've been together 11 years, but, you know, you got to subtract two for the pandemic. So, I mean, we've done a lot of major touring for nine years of being, you know, being out there for 11 years. Although we are pretty much kind of commensurate with them as far as like being a new band on the rise. You know, we're behind them uh, by about a year, but I'm honored, you know, to be a new band on the rise that can help not only us, but help, uh, you know, our bandmates and our record company become greater, you know, every, every year. I'm very loyal people, you know, that give me opportunity. I'll never forget those who didn't. And I'll never forget those who did. Yeah. Uh, and they saw something in us and believe me, <laughs> a lot of bands trying to get signed to that label. So even the fact they won't, they they liked us enough to sign us was an honor, and um, I'm just uh, you know I, I I'm in awe and shock and remain very humble about what's going on. I it's just I had no what I no idea what to expect, and the best is happening. I guess it was ordained, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You touched on something there earlier. You said. Uh, 
when you were 18 that you thought the boat had sailed. What happened then in later life that made you go back to music? Well, you know, I had started doing some things where I was earning some income. I'd had to go back east for a year where I got offered, uh, you know, a one-year contract for something. Then I came back and I ran into uh, a childhood friend who played guitar and he had a really good band which was called Cassandra Screams. And uh, so I went to a club to see them and they were really good. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Yeah, maybe I should meet with these guys and offer to manage them. So I, I actually started managing bands around 1991 and I got two of them major recording contracts. Although, you know, you know, for reasons beyond some control you know they ended up not really going anywhere and i thought to myself you know i can't give them what i think and feel and i wish i could just enter their body because <laughs> if i could do that you know it would really work and so eventually i just went ahead and did it mm. <laughs> it's like i just went ahead and said screw that i'm going to front a band and the rest is history up till today. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what are the future plans and what do you hope to achieve besides global domination? But like I said, I never really cared uh, to be rich or famous. You know, I don't care about being a rock star. You know, a rock star is somebody who walks down the street anywhere in the world and gets mobbed. That's a rock star. You know, I'm an artist. You know, I want to tour and record and tour and record and tour and record until I don't want to do it anymore. And uh, judging from the great shape I'm in, that might be quite some time. Glad to hear it. I'm a lot. I'm a lot younger than Mick Jagger, <laughs> and uh, so so I, I I've got a lot more years behind me, and I'm going to do that until I don't want to anymore. And uh, that is my plan. I can't wait uh, to tour behind this record. I, I just can't wait. And I've, and I've got a great band. We made a change at rhythm section about three and a half years ago and went younger and better player and better looking. And uh, at the time, Victor was only 25, my drummer. And Gabe, my bass player, was only 26. They're 29 and 28 now. And I broke them in slowly. You know, they were touring songs recorded by other lineups, not them. And so we did small little club tours in the Western regions where, you know, there wouldn't be a lot of press or anything just to get them. And when I thought we were ready and we did the bigger L.A. Guns tour and oh boy, did they make it their own on that tour. The chemistry on stage, it, it was just unbelievable. So what's nice is we went into rehearsal. Uh, after the tour and we put our, uh, our mobile recording studio in there and we jammed for about four hours. And what's nice is, you know, this record is written by all of us. And Gabe came up with the baseline uh, for Show Me. So the first radio single that seems to be what's going to take us to the promised land was the first song that we actually, all four of us wrote together. So I, I think that's just really a beautiful thing. Mm. And uh, 
You know, it's one thing to go out there and tour songs you wrote as opposed to touring songs somebody else wrote and recorded. They yeah. wrote and recorded them. I mean, Victor didn't get to play drums on four, but, you know, Victor at 25 was as good as Dave Grohl was at 25. He's insane. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, I got a 28-year-old drummer. You know, if you ever see us live, we come your way, and I'm sure we will at some point. That kid can play the drums. And <clears throat> I mean, he's absolutely unbelievable. And if <clears throat> I had my way, he would have drummed the whole album. Although, seeing as how he couldn't come here, I'm not going to complain if Stephen Perkins <laughs> played uh, uh, on four of them. Uh, you know, not 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 at all. Although uh, Victor's going to have absolutely no problem making those songs his own. And when we tour live, you, you're not going to hear a huge difference from the record. Of course, you were like an Aerosmith or Led Zeppelin, meaning we don't sound like the record when we're playing live. We go on feel. Yeah. Based on how we feel, the audience is going. You know, every show could be a little bit different depending on the energy level, you know, so on and so forth. You know, we're a raw four-piece rock band that goes on feel, and it's extremely real. We connect with the audience in, in a very special way quickly, and they become like part of the band. It's very hard to explain, and it's like the audience and the band become one. And uh, I, after years, you know, I didn't experience that till the last tour with LA Guns. I'd never experienced that before. When you have that chemistry going and the band is coming together, the crowd doesn't know that the band is now at a level they hadn't been at before. It's like you're growing yeah. on stage during the show and the fans are blown away that you're enjoying what you're doing. And the whole thing just becomes one you know one common mesh of humanity between the crowd and the, and the band i guess it's hard to understand unless you've experienced it yeah yeah but, but it was it's really truly something special and i and i know that's why i'll do it till i can't do it anymore and i know that's why mick jagger keeps doing it because clearly he's experienced that for many years and uh it's just something that's addicting. It's hard to give up. It sounds almost like some kind of spiritual experience, more so than just a, a concert, you know, the way you're connecting with the audience and the, just the ultimate experience of it all. Exactly. It's, yeah. It becomes an extremely high-level spiritual experience. Mm. You're well rehearsed, so you're not even thinking about what you're doing. <clears throat> because it's all coming out. Although while the band's playing and I'm singing, you know, at the same time, I'm experiencing this super high level of spiritual connection on many different levels, you know, especially with the crowd, but there's other levels of it. Um, it was truly remarkable. And unfortunately, COVID took it away from me right when we were just at, starting to just really go to other levels as COVID took things away from many people. Although we're going to be back, you know, <laughs> in the next few months. And uh, for those of you who buy a ticket, you're going to see one heck of a show. I promise you that. 
Brilliant, brilliant. I, for one, know that as soon as you, you guys can get over to Europe, I'm going to be there in the front row. I can't wait for it. We were supposed to. I mean, the promoters over there wanted to bring us. I mean, we were scheduled to do a direct support to, to, tour to a big name beginning in May, mm. uh, uh, which is now not going to happen. Then go back uh, in uh, late June for a headline tour, play a bunch of festivals and then go back in September or October for another headline tour. Uh, although the promoters are telling me that's just not going to happen until 2023. So we have a great label. Our management company can get us on tour with anybody. You know, obviously, if we crack the top five and all the charts, it gives more ammunition, you know, to get on get on better tours to where, you know, they they pay for themselves. You know, a four-piece band on tour for six weeks. You know, so that's, it's not uh, <clears throat> its not cheap. No, no sure. it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. You know, it's really quite expensive, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it is a business after all. You have to make your money back. Well, you can't do it if you don't have the money to do it because you're going to lose money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't care about making money. If I can break even, I'll do it. You know, mm. for most of the time of my career, everybody's gotten paid except for me. Um, nice. But the the other kind of thing, the other things I do for a living, you know, have been really hurt by COVID. So, you know, my cash flow is not what it used to be. So I, I don't think we're going to be able to do anything unless we get paid enough to where, you know, at least I break even. Yeah, yeah. To start with, so we'll have to wait and see. But it's competitive, you know. Mm. I think it'll probably be third up to two name bands like us, like us uh, in Bush and Stone Temple Pilots, or us, us uh, Corn and Alice and Chain, something like that. I think is what it'll yeah. probably be. Yeah, that actually sounds like the perfect concert. You know, I, yeah, I think touring with some name like '90s bands would be a good fit for the first yeah. USA tour. Yeah, exactly. It really meet your audience and find your people that way. You know, you yeah, well, you know, I mean, what we need to do. I don't usually really care who we tour with as long as we're playing to a lot of people. Mm. Because I'm on, I'm on stage to please fans out there. I already have and are in to steal as many fans as I can. <laughs> so all I care about is when it's my turn. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, being on tour with, with, with a couple named nineties, and it seems like they're, they're putting them in threes and such to have a new band on blowing up a single on radio that does add value to the bill. So, you know, I think something like us and Bush and Stone Temple Pilots or Alice in Chains or Corn, I think, would be something phenomenal. We'll just have to wait and see. You know, you never know. Yeah. We could blow up so big on radio that we could just we might just do headline regional club tours in the United States. Like do the Western region for like two and a half weeks, break for a week. Yeah. You know, keep doing it. that could happen too. only God knows. We'll see what God planned. Exactly. What he's planned so far, I'm not <laughs> complaining about. Uh, although I don't know yet. I don't know. Yet. I'll leave that with management. Mm, you know, yeah. Bob Chaparty's been in the business a very long time. You know. Yeah, yeah. All the big bands from Metallica, everybody, you know, Iron Maiden, 
all of their agents and managers are like his best friends. They, they came up, you know, in hot tubs with girls together and, yeah, you know, so he knows everybody and, uh, at the appropriate time, we'll get on the appropriate tour, you know, pretty, pretty much looking forward to, uh, to that. We will be your way. Are you in Northern Ireland or in Southern Southern? Ireland? Southern. So Dublin would actually be my concert area. Okay. Yeah. Can't wait to get back there. It's like, it's really something, uh, you know, having to take that ferry from uh, <laughs> <Say so. laughs> from the UK or <laughs> across that channel to uh, to Ireland. It's yeah. a little grueling. A little, <laughs> a little, <laughs> I remember it being a little grueling. I remember Belfast scaring me a lot. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I had a really bad experience there. And Dublin was, you know, completely different. You know, you know, because uh, you're you're Irish. The mm. Huge difference between North and, and South Ireland. Yeah, I've been to the North a couple of times myself, and I I get what you mean by it's a bit scary, especially when you're from Southern Ireland. It can be a bit, you know, or or American, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just made the mistake of being bored in my hotel. We had played. Uh, uh, Belfast the night before and we were staying there another night before we went on to Dublin and there was a real Irish pub there that Brad Pitt had spent some time at trying to get his accent down for the the guy Richie movie oh yes uh, where he, he played played that uh, fighter guy I forget the name of the name of the film oh Snatch I think it was yeah Snatch so I got directions and I made this long walk through all these places and found the pub. And I walked in and there were guys playing ancient Irish instruments. It was like walking into a tavern in 1640. <laughs> you know, it, it was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I just sat there and listened to the music and drank and drank. And uh, there were about 18 hooligans out front waiting for me. I was oh, a little tipsy trying to figure out how I was how I was going to make it find my way back to my hotel. <laughs> oh man! And um, you know, I walked out, and they they encircled me, and uh, uh, it was a very scary thing. But you know, uh, in the end, I ended up just walking away, turned the corner, and uh, there was a cab, and I said. You know, are you free? And he's like, absolutely, get in. I got in. And he's like, where do you want to go? And I said, I forgot the hotel I'm in. And he goes, you're Ben Ray. I saw your show last night. I know the hotel you're at. He took me back to the hotel. And I went up the elevator, laid down on the bed, and I went, I am lucky. Because they in intended at first to beat me half to death and leave me in an alley, really. Um by the grace of God, somehow in my in intellect and my humor, I got out of it. Um, so that really scared me. And uh, you, you never go on the streets alone on tour. You always go with someone else. So that was a, a tough lesson to learn. But it scared me. It really did. Because I'd been all over the world several times touring. And I've never had people want to hurt me like that. Yeah, I didn't. I was too naive to understand that that potent, you know, that that possibility existed. 
At this stage, we'll move on to the last couple of questions. Um, okay. If you could see any performer or artist for from history for one night only in concert, who would it be? Jeez, God. <laughs> well, I saw a lot of them, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's just so close to being a tie between Jimi Hendrix and The Doors. Mm. I never got to see either one of them. Um, I guess the doors would really, I would pick them. Yeah. It's close between Hendrix and the doors, although the doors were really special. Um, and they weren't set up like a regular band, you know, with, with, uh, man, on, on the keyboards. Yeah. Like the 1969 show at the Hollywood bowl. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. If I could pick, I'd want to be front row center for that show. Yeah, yeah, that would be probably, if I went to that, it'd be the end of my concert days. Nothing could ever live up to it. <laughs> I'll tell you, the best show I ever saw was, you know, it was pretty tough. I saw Led Zeppelin at the end of 72. Oh, man. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Page had, uh, it must have been one of their first tours here, had broken his pinky finger on his left hand. And they were talking about canceling the show, but they did it anyway, including the five encores. Christ. The total the total duration of the show was four and a half hours, and Paige played the whole thing with four fingers. Okay, that was, and they would play for three or four hours in those days. Although the best show I ever saw. You know, they were all that year in 72, including the Rolling Stones Exile on Main Street tour. They had Stevie Wonder open for and I was just a young teenager. Uh, was Jethro Tull. Really? Uh, the, yeah, the Aqualung tour. The, uh, that band was absolutely... I don't think there's any words in any language to, de to describe it. <laughs> it was just the most incredible rock show I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it, it just blew my mind. And then, of course, David Bowie, you know, with the Ziggy Stardust tour <laughs> um, was a close second. Jesus. You know, I had two of my high school buddies with me that were on a football team. So they were huge. Yeah. And it was that he did two shows, Santa Monica Civic and the Hollywood Palladium. We went to the Hollywood Palladium and they just muscled up. And I was standing two feet from the stage. And here comes this guy. And I mean, you really couldn't tell if he was a boy or a girl, literally. Right. Uh, you know, the original lineup with Mick Ronson. And oh, my God, that was a great rock show. It I really was. It. Although Je Jethro Tull was, was the best I've ever seen, ever. Yeah. You know, I'm getting the feeling that any of my dream, dream concerts, you've probably been to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit older than you, you know. That's what people don't really understand. I started this band when I was 54. Uh, really? And I did my first tour when I was 55. Uh, and I've toured with two guys in the Hall of Fame, Alice Cooper and Slash. I got a record deal at 66. And oh, I man. turned 67 
on January 21st and I look 45 and I, I, I got a, my body's like a 40 year old. So a lot of people don't really understand that um, it's never too late to live your dreams. And if you believe everything is possible. So I assume at some point, if God graces us with blowing up enough to where we make the kind of noise where bigger magazines like Kerrang and uh, Billboard, Rolling Stone start, you know, that's a heck of a story. I mean, yeah. who the heck starts a band at 54, does their first tour at 55, tours with two Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, gets a record deal at 66, and breaks to the world at 67. Yeah. I don't Jesus. know if that's ever happened before. I'm trying to remain <laughs> I humble. So. I just, you know, I would, I think that's a great story. Yeah. And I, and I think it's a great message to everybody that it's just never too late to live your dreams. Don't ever give up. Mm. I, I, I believe I'm a good example of that. And I think that even supersedes the music, that message, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It would actually make a great biopic movie. You know, it might, you know, I'm also in the film business. So uh, I think uh, we're going to start filming everything here on out. Mm. And if things things go the right way, you know, sometime in the future, we'll, uh, I think, uh, you know, at some point in the future, we'll drop, you know, a documentary film. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you have to have that wherewithal. Look at Disney, you know, they got the Beatles, Get Back, right? Yeah. Can you imagine they got they were smart enough to get all that footage and uh, be able to see those guys when they were young and what they were doing is very special. So I think we're, we're going to, when we start touring, we're just going to film everything in front of the scenes, behind the scenes, you know, when we're recording new stuff, all of that, and we're going to, we're going to keep a, a film record of it. Yeah. Yeah. I really need to document everything. Um, the next one then, if you could spend 24 hours locked in a room again with any artist from history, who would it be? Steve Tyler. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, Steve Tyler got clean and sober, so it'd be a clean and sober night. And ah. um, I think Aerosmith is the greatest live rock band on earth today. Hmm. <clears throat> I've seen them several times. And... Uh, I'd like to sit there and just pick his brain all night. Yeah. I really would. It'd definitely be an interesting night. Yeah, I, I would really, really love to talk to him because, you know, they're an American band. You mm. know, he he went through being very successful to you know, having nothing to being very successful again. Understanding what drugs and alcohol can do to you understanding the industry um you know especially at the age he's at now how he conditions himself you know holds up on tour those type of things i'd like to talk to him about it. i guess i could have the same conversation with mick jagger yeah yeah um, but i think i'd rather talk to steven tyler i think mick would be boring you know i was going to i was kind of thinking the same thing as uh steven tyler would be a bit more lively or a bit more fun at this stage you know yeah at this stage yeah you know 30 years ago i'd probably say jagger but not now yeah be steve tyler yeah and if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life what would it be uh 
it would be uh, My Life by the Beatles. Ah, good choice, actually. And for, you know, my current love, Diana, she's a big part of why we got the record deal. She's a tremendous director and specializes in documentary film, directing, editing, and music videos. <clears throat> and we'd never had a video you know, we just didn't have the visuals we needed. And um, um, she directed the Show Me video on YouTube, which actually blew up uh, with, with, with a few hundred thousand views. It keeps getting more. Yeah. And that actually that actually got us the record deal. Jeez. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I've had a lot of people I've loved and I've lost a lot of people I've loved. But at my age, to meet somebody new two years ago, when I figured I was going to die alone, that would be a big song on my my life soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't blame you then. Please. And what do you like to do to relax when you're not doing music? What I really prefer is to go fly fishing. Uh, I love it. <clears throat> I like to get in a, a float boat or raft and just float for miles down the river, fly fishing. Uh, and, you know, we release everything I catch mm. and pull over and, you know, make a campfire and cook lunch on a, on a river, river bank. Uh, I love doing that. And, uh, you know, I want to fish, you know, every trout, you know, steelhead, the salmon river I can in America, and there's plenty of them, you know, mm. in California, Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, uh, you know, Colorado. Um, and uh, I find that really, uh, really relaxing. Of course, you know, a beach in Mexico works too. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, it would, it would. And the final one, is there something I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, why did I start a band at 54? <laughs> That's actually a very good question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I really didn't. I hid the fact I could sing ever since that band broke up at 17. Mm. And I had friends that were producers and performers that were friends of mine for 20 years. And one of them who was a producer and a great keyboardist had forgot something at my house, called me at work. And I, he said, I need to pick this up. And so I'll leave the door open. And what I would do when I came home back from work is I had a PA system and I'd put in my iPod and I'd sing and dance like karaoke to stuff for an hour to stay in shape. Yeah. And you know how you feel someone's behind you? Hmm. I felt like someone was behind me. So I turned it off and I turned around. And he was looking at me with his mouth open. <laughs> and he said, we're going in the studio. And I said, no way, man. He goes, we're going to start a band. I didn't know you could sing like that. And I'm like, I'm way too old. And he's like, <laughs> we're doing it. Uh, so I got, I got pushed into it. And um, I figured, ah, we'll do it. We'll have fun. It's just a hobby. Hmm. Uh, and the next thing I knew, I was on tour with Fuel House, Cooper, and Slash. I mean, that's what happened. Jesus. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to happen. No, no. I didn't plan. You know, I actually thought it was a great hobby and release. I had some great musicians with me. And, 
we played a show at the Key Club and there was a European promoter. And next thing I knew, a week after the show, I got a call. He said, we're booking uh, Tracy Guns over on a Euro tour. We want you to tour with them. And I said, okay. So December 2010, then we went back in June and did another big Euro tour with him. And then beginning in 2012, it was Fueled and Alice Cooper, Slash, Buck Cherry, rest of history. And we toured with a lot of other people, but that's what really launched us.
Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is DJ JC, and I'm one of the DJs over at Super Cool Radio. I host a one-hour metal show called The Brutal Block. We have new episodes every Tuesday, dropping at noon. So if heavy metal music is something that you're into, then make your way over to The Brutal Block. Throw up the horns, and let's get rockin'. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I for one surely did. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Your 5 star review will be read out on the show. And don't forget, you can now rate us on Spotify. You can find and follow us on all social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And don't forget to check out the website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.